0: Let's look in our Bibles to the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians once again. We're going to be in chapter 2 this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And as you are turning in your copy of the Word of God, uh, we're going to go ahead and just have a quick word of prayer for illumination this morning for the Lord to give us understanding and uh, to give us a will to obey uh, what we hear today. So let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you so much for the wonderful talents. We thank you for the gift of music. There's, you know, the, the word preached puts the words in our mind and uh, in our will, but the, but, the, but the words sung and played brings us to your heart. And we are so thankful for your gift of music. We're so thankful for all the musicians, Merlin, uh, Stefan and Melissa, Hannah. Lord, I thank you for all of them and the role they're playing in our music And Lord, I pray you will build our music even more to where we'll have a full choir, a full orchestra so that we can lead your people to your very heart. Lord, may we love you more. And and now as we come to this time in your word, may you take your word and use it to change our hearts, to be more like you, to love you more, to worship you and to live for you in our daily lives. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. In the last uh, few weeks, we've been in the first of in the book of First Thessalonians, talking about kind of the three aims of biblical ministry that uh, that we had adopted a while back, and um, and I had told you at that point that we were not beginning a study through the book of 1 Thessalonians. So when I said this morning, turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter two, I'm sure many of you were probably wondering, well, is he sneaking in a book study here? And uh, the answer is no, I'm not. Uh, However, as I was reading through the whole book, getting ready to preach the sermons that uh, uh, we were gonna preach over the last three weeks, I ran across, uh, as I read chapter two, I just thought uh, there how Paul compares himself to a mother and how he compares himself to a father Father, and I thought to myself, what great models for mothers and fathers, and what a great way to preach Mother's and Father's Day this year, and what a great relief that is for me. And so, uh, so that's where we are this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to ahead and read it. You guys have stood up enough this morning, so I'm just going to ask you to stay seated as we read through the verse together. we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. You know, the scriptures give us several models and, and metaphors for the church, gives us several models and metaphors for ministry in the scriptures. Uh, for instance, uh, the church is a body. We are all members of one body with Christ as the head of the church. In another place, the church is compared to the temple. We are a building and each and every one of us are bricks and stones of that building. The foundation being the teaching of the apostles, the very cornerstone is Christ himself. And of course, you all know the church as a family. We all refer to one another as brothers and sisters. Uh, Christ himself started that metaphor when he said that whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Christ compared the church to a family. The church is also an army. Uh, wearing the armor of God and, and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, fighting not against flesh and blood but against the devil, our adversary. We have several different models and metaphors of ministry. Like, for example, fishers of men. Uh, Paul talks about athletics. In fact, he will go on down and uh, when he's talking about um, uh, ministry to uh, 2 Timothy and, and encouraging Timothy to be faithful in the ministry, he compares them to an athlete, to a farmer. He compares to Christ himself as the ultimate model of ministry that we have. And yet in this passage, Paul gives a model of Parenting. He gives a model of parenting in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. He compares himself to a nursing mother who cares for her infant. More than likely, this is because the church at Thessalonica was a young church. It wasn't much more than really just probably no more than three months old or so. In any case, the church was born under the ministry and, of Paul in Acts chapter 17, and while there, he refers to his ministry among them as that of a mother nursing her newborn. You know, it's because of passages like this that the reformers were not shy to refer to the church as the mother of Christians, as the mother of Christians. Now, uh, during the Reformation, uh, some people took that metaphor a little too far. But it is the ministry of the church to raise Christians to maturity. That's what we have been talking about. It is the ministry of the church to provide the means by which God matures Christians. It is the ministry of the church to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people may be born again. And so there is a vital metaphor there that we are indeed like a mother caring for newborns caring for children. And so we won't look at this passage much in the same way we look at Ephesians 5 when we talk about marriage that Christ is the Christ is the groom we are the bride of the church we are the bride of Christ the church is and yet uh, we also see principles for marriage there to follow we're going to look at this in the same way there's kind of double duty and that motherhood does provide a model for all of us as we strive for ministering to God's people Godly motherhood does provide a model for godly ministry that mothers can learn from the church and the church can learn from mothers. There's a kind of a symbiotic relationship there. And that we learn from our mothers, they learn from the church, and it it just goes on and on and on in that wonderful cycle. So Paul compares himself to a nursing mother in chapter two, verse seven, and then he compares himself to a father in chapter two, verse 11. And can you guess when we're going to look at that passage? We're gonna look at it on Independence Day, so I'm kidding, we won't. But we're gonna look at motherhood this morning as a model for ministry. As a model for ministry, as Paul describes it here, Paul compares himself as a spiritual mother in three distinct ways in this passage. And we're gonna look at each one, just one by one. And that, first of all, he says that, as, that like a mother, when he ministered to the Thessalonians and when we minister to others like a mother, we must model sincerity we must model sincerity. He says, you know that our coming was not in vain. Why? Because in verse three, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Paul reminds them that while he was there, his ministry was marked with sincerity. It was marked by sincerity, and in a couple ways. That Number one, that sincerity was displayed by truth. That sincerity was displayed by truth. It didn't come from any error or impurity or attempt to deceive. He emphasizes that truthfulness using those three different words. Error, for example may refer to unintentional error that the gospel he preached was not mixed with the errors of the culture. He did not base his teaching on the ideas of the surrounding culture and he certainly didn't base his practices of parenting from what he got from Hollywood. He certainly didn't do that. It wasn't even founded upon his own raising. In some ways, Paul had rejected the raising he had as a, as a devout Jew, as a moving on into the Pharisaical realm as he did. And yet when he came to Christ, it changed everything. And he broke with those traditions because his ministry was grounded in nothing more, nothing other than the word of God. His ministry was grounded in truth, not in the errors of his day. Neither was there any impurity. It wasn't a mixed bag. He didn't borrow some worldly ideas here and then some Bible here. He didn't take Leviticus here and Dr. Spock here. He didn't mix it all up and make some kind of, some kind of crock pot or, mi- or mixing pot. He didn't do any of those things. No, it was pure. His point of his message was not to allow him to be immoral, but it was to bring the people to Christ. Parents, do you realize that that is your role for your kids as a young age, more than anything else to bring them, shepherd their hearts to Christ? You know, I fear sometimes I'm so concerned about making my kids good kids that I forget to minister Christ to them. There's a difference. The Pharisees were good kids, The Sadducees were great kids, but they were busting the gates of hell wide open. We don't want to raise Pharisees. The goal of parenting and the goal of the church is to bring people to Christ and mature them in Christ-likeness so that we can then set them free to serve Christ and according to the gifts that they have. There was no unintentional, error. There was no impurity. There was no intentional error. In other words, you could say that I I didn't come to to deceive you, but his ministry was authentic. There was no sense of do as I say, not as I do. Everything he taught them were the things that he himself lived. Everything he taught them were things that he did. I mean, notice what he says in in verse four. So as we have been approved by God, so we speak. The raising of the Thessalonian church was grounded in the truth of God, and so in the same way, godly mothers, godly fathers, our parenting must be grounded in the truth of God, not in the errors of culture. Not in the errors of what we see around us. Their sincerity was displayed by truth and also by their motivation. Look in, look in verse five. He said, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor for a pretext of greed. Their motives and ministry was not driven by selfish motivations or ambitions. There was no pretext when they came, except only to please God. Parents, that is your number one responsibility is to please God. Not aim for your kids' happiness. Not aim for good grades. Your number one responsibility is to please God in your parenting. Amen? The number one goal in our church is to please God. And you know what? Sometimes when your kids are not too concerned about what God wants, you're gonna make them upset. And you know what? Sometimes in the church, we have people who are not too concerned about what God wants. And you know what? We're gonna make them upset. But our number one role is to please God. If we're pleasing men, then we're not serving God, we're serving men. If you're pleasing your kids, you're not parenting them, they're parenting you. In fact, I think it was Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady of Europe, who said that one of the things that amazes me about American culture is how parents raise, or how children raise their parents, not the other way around. Our goal is to please God and our parenting. And there has to be a motivation there. Knowing that God is the one who tests hearts. God is the one who tests everything we do, not according to what we do only, but also why we do it. He tests all of our hearts. And aren't these huge temptations for all of us, for all, both in ministry and parents? You know, in Jeremiah's day, he ministered some 30 years, never had a single convert as far as we know. Don't you think at times he was tempted to change his message and make it a little more user-friendly? Don't you think there were times he was tempted to do that? Sure he was, sure there was, he was human. There was definitely a time that he wanted to quit and he was tired of it, but he couldn't. Don't you think there's times likely when, when Paul's accompaniment, when Paul's people told Paul, you know, Paul, if you would just lay off a little bit, you know, you wouldn't get ran out of every town. You wouldn't be making these churches so mad if you would just kind of maybe ease up a little bit. Don't you think there were times that Paul's friends told him that? Of course there were. Isn't it tempting to water down the message of grace and forgiveness to appeal, to appeal to the masses? Isn't that easy? Isn't it tempting to excuse our kids' sin just to make them happy? Isn't that easy? Am I the only sinner in the room? <laughs> okay, just wondering. What are some ways we can do this? In ministry, there's, there's a temptation to reach out only and especially to those whom we think will benefit us in some way, right? Oh, they play the piano. Oh, they play an instrument. They're a good teacher. Oh, they got a big checkbook. We need to reach out to them. And others, yeah, we reach out to them, but not quite as as intensely, right? (coughs) Isn't it tempting to... Give your kids. You know, you have one kid who's soft and moldable, and 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 just and just always pleasant. And then you got this other kid who's just a knucklehead, right? Isn't it tempting to give more attention to one than the other, right? I, I see mothers looking around at their kids a lot. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but anyway. By the way, this is not just a modern church problem. James chapter 2, verse 1, he says that when you are in the ministry, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And mothers and fathers, I would tell you the same thing, that as you are raising your children, show no partiality. Right? We reach out to someone because they... Do whatever, and parents can also do this. Sometimes we parent to gain a sense of personal fulfillment. Sometimes we become parents to gain accomplishment through our kids that we never could, or perhaps we parent in order out of convenience. We can do this. Paul says, Look, I didn't come here to see what I could get out of you, I came here to serve you and bring the grace of Christ to you. And, beloved, God gave us our kids so that we could give them the grace of God. God gave us our kids so that we can raise them in adoration of the Lord. And there is sacrificial ministry there, sacrificial. And I'm gonna be honest with you. I think, guys, I think the ladies are a little better at this than we are sometimes. I I know for sure Roxanne is. You cannot give her a gift card because she will spend it on the kids. Right and and it's I mean she enjoys doing things for her kids more than she enjoys doing things for herself. Uh, one year for Christmas, I got her a, a gift card somewhere I can't remember, and um, and she spent the whole thing on the kids. And I was like, "Why'd you do that?" She said, "That's what I enjoy." She got me a gift card to my favorite restaurant. She says, "Oh, wonderful! You can take me for a date." And I was like, "Why would I do that?" <laughs> <laughs> This is my gift card. Leave it alone, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, mine, mine, you know. <laughs> my mother taught me well. So, <laughs> I can't remember the last time she bought something for herself. Well, last night. If, when it comes to plants, all bets are off, so. <laughs> Philippians says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And I don't believe there's another, a better model of this than mothers. I really don't. I mean, and guys, we sacrifice too in our own ways, but I think, I think mothers are a little better at this and, and they model this for us. They model this, at least in my family. Maybe, maybe yours is different, but at least in my family, they really do. We model gentleness in ministry. We model sincerity, but we also see modeled gentleness in ministry. Look in uh, look in verse six. He says, "Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or for others. Though we have made dem- we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother caring for her own children." Now, I know, if, especially if you're using the newer NIV, your translation probably says, we become as infants or as young children among you. Uh, there's a textual issue there. I, I like the word gentle better. To me, it just makes a little more sense. What does it mean to be gentle? This is not a term we find very often. In fact, only here and in another passage do we find this in the New Testament. What, it, what does it mean to be gentle? Well, there's two ideas that come from this that we derive from both of the texts. Number one is here we see that it involves humility. We see that it involves humility. He says that we did not seek glory from men, either from you or from others, as though, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. Paul did not come to Thessalonica to seek personal gain. We saw that in the last verses, but he continues on here that I did not come to you to seek glory either. Not from them, not from other people, not from anyone. He wasn't interested in the in the praises and accolades of, of men or applause of people. Wasn't interested in any of that. Instead, he knew the proper use of the authority he was given by God. He says, I could have authored I could have asserted my authority as an apostle of Christ, and indeed he could have. But he understood the proper understanding of that authority and the proper limits of that authority that he was given. And he did not allow his position to go to his head. All authority on earth is delegated authority. And yes, that does include parents. Yes, men, that does include the command for wives to submit to us. All authority on earth is delegated from heaven, whether it's political authority, pastoral authority, church authority, business authority, and yes, even familial authority. All authority is delegated by God to accomplish his purposes. And the moment we start using the authority given to accomplish our own things, the moment we use our authority given to do our own, go our own way, we are abusing the authority That God has given us all authority is delegated in fact the very word apostle means one who is sent a an emissary if you will a messenger if you will he didn't have the right to use that title for his own purposes and mother you don't either and father you don't either and pastor I don't either Deacon, Sunday school teacher, whatever the title is, president, you don't either. Amen? You don't, you were not given that authority to accomplish what you want to do. You were given that authority to accomplish God's will. That's why it was given. It includes humility, especially here in the sense of a proper understanding of authority. But it also includes kindness, and uh, I don't have this on the board. Look just a few pages over for most of us, that's Second Timothy chapter two, verse 24. this is the second place where it's brought up. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 24 through 26. It says here that the Lord's bondservant or the Lord's servant or really more literally, the Lord's slave must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will. Gentleness includes humility, but it also includes kindness. In fact, probably the basic idea of this word is the idea of kindness. The Lord's slave, the Lord's servant, who is that? Are you the Lord's servant? Yes. Yes, you are. And the Lord's servant, the Lord's bond servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to all. What does this entail? What does it entail to be kind? To be able to teach? Patient when wronged? By the way, parents, do your kids ever wrong you? All the kids are like, no. <laughs> all the siblings are pointing to each other, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Patient when wrong, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Moms, are your kids ever in opposition to you? Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. Patient when wrong, gentle gentleness correcting those who are in opposition why what's the purpose of your kindness is it just for kindness sake no it's so that notice verse 6 verse 25 and 26 if perhaps god may grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth we're not saying that our kids didn't do anything wrong we all know that's not true but we're saying we're kind for a purpose. It's purposeful kindness so that patient when wrong, gentleness correcting those who, are, who go astray. Why? So that God may grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Do you see that? That's why we must not be quarrelsome. Boy, as a parent, isn't it tempting to be quarrelsome with your kids? Isn't it? Sure it is. Your kids come down, and boy, they're just trying to pick a fight. There's not even anything wrong. They're just, they're just itching for a fight. It's so easy to be quarrelsome. It's so tempting to do that. But be gentle. Able to bring the truth to the hearts of children. Are people in the church able to bring truth to their hearts so that God may grant them repentance? Oh, parents. How often we make mistakes and sin against our kids. How often we become quarrelsome with our kids. Why? Because we're seeking glory from people. Paul says we didn't come here to seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. How tempting it is to use the authority God has given us as parents to try to bring glory to ourselves. We may be overly strict because we're wanting to receive glory from those on the outside looking in. We raise our kids so to make us look good for others, parenting for personal achievement instead of the glory of God. We're seeking glory from others as a church. We, we do everything we can to t- try to fill up the pews so that we can look good to everybody on the outside and we sacrifice truth to do it. How tempting that is. Or the other one, you may be overly loose, letting your kids get away with everything because you want the glory from your kids. Instead of correcting them in order that God may bring them to Himself. We're, parent- we're parenting our kids out for their happiness. We want them to be happy. We want them to love us. We want them to be our best friends. And so we're overly loose with them. We're overly we don't we don't enforce any rules, any guidance whatsoever. And by the way, parent, just so you know, those are the kids. That grow up to hate you. Just so you know, that is gonna backfire. Actually, both of these will. Overly strict, overly loose, whatever it is, if you are seeking glory either from your kids, if you are seeking glory from people outside of your family, instead of seeking the glory of God, it is going to backfire. It's going to fail. And the same thing is true with the church. If we fail to practice church discipline because we're so afraid we might lose someone or someone might get mad, we're seeking their glory instead of God's. The moment we are willing to disobey scripture to make someone else happy is the moment we are seeking their glory. Instead of God's glory. And that's going to backfire. That is not the way to grow a church. That is the way to kill a church. That is the way to take away all the effectiveness whatsoever. And by the way, that's also when manipulation starts setting in. When we start trying to manipulate our kids, or our kids start trying to manipulate us, that's when it starts happening. All authority on earth is delegated and is delegated in order to bring people to a knowledge of the truth. Genesis 18, verse 19. Why, why did God call Abraham? Why did God call Abraham? Why did he choose Abraham? He says, I have chosen him that he may command his children and his, out, and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. And that example is given to parents throughout the rest of the law. Why did God make you a parent? There it is right there. Why did God make us a church? There it is right there. Our role in the word is given in order to lovingly shepherd our hearts and love and worship Jesus Christ and to shepherd our children to do the same. We gently, not out of quarreling or manipulation, we shepherd them to our Savior. Beloved, I cannot save my kids any more than I can save any of you. I can't meet all your needs, but I can shepherd your heart to the one who can. And that's our goal. We model We model gentleness, We model sincerity. And we model affection in ministry. Verse 8 So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. I'm out of time, so let me just say this real quick. Is there any more tender picture of affection than a, a mother nursing her infant child? Is there anything more tender than that? How do we show that affection? Well, I'm out of time, so let me just say this. Through loving pursuit, uh, Mark, I'm going to skip one. Generous provision, yes. But also through loving pursuit. He says, We not only imparted the gospel to you, but our own lives. That's how affection is felt. So oftentimes in marriages, One person will feel unloved because the other person has stopped pursuing them. Right? Affection is felt in pursuit. We pursue it. We pursue them. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14 and 15. Paul says, for here now the third time I'm ready to come to you and I will not be a burden for I seek not what is yours. Watch this. I seek not what is yours, but I seek you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to, am I to be loved less? What an amazing picture of affection. Loving pursuit. Parents, are you pursuing your kids? Mothers, are you pursuing your children, your sons, your daughters? Do you delight in the presence? Are you relating to them? You know, there's a tragic irony in so many families. When the kids are young and want our attention, what do we do? We just say, not now, maybe later, not now, maybe later, not now, maybe later. And then those kids grow up one day and one day we want their attention. And you know what happens? Not now, maybe later, not now, maybe later, not now maybe later. That's a tragic irony that happens in so many families. Beloved, pursue your kids. Pursue them. Don't ever give up pursuing your kids. We pursue what we love. So pursue our kids. In the church, we must be constantly in the role of pursuing those whom God has given us. Don't give up on people once they once they join the church don't just throw them somewhere and say okay here you go and move on to the next sale but pursue one another love one another don't ever grow tired of pursuing each other showing the love of Christ to each one of us say Randy I don't really know how to do that well think about how Christ pursued you Think about how Christ pursued you. How he left heaven and earth. He left all the glories of heaven and he came to earth to seek and save that which is lost. That is me and you, my friend. He left all of his glory. He left all of his everything. He left the very presence of the Father to come and pursue you. Dads, can we not give up a video game for a little while to pursue our kids? Moms, can we not put down the phone for a little while to pursue our kids? Can we not give up our distraction for just a little while so our kids will know they are loved? And beloved, ministry, in ministry in the church, can we not put down our distractions in order to pursue one another and show Christ's love when that is what Christ did for us? He gave up the glories of heaven. Can we not sacrifice even just a little? for the ones he's entrusted to us. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know that Christ is pursuing you. He came from heaven to earth so that you would be saved, to seek and save you. And your coming here this morning was not a coincidence. We wanna share the gospel with you. And we want you to know how you can know Christ. You can't give what you don't have. And mothers, if you want to be a God-like mother, a Christ-like mother, you've got to be in Christ. Thank you so much, mothers, for your model to our ministry. I pray that we are more like you. Amen? And I pray that you can learn from the things we do well and that we can each continue learning from each other so we'll, we'll both be better. Be a more God-like mother. Be a more Christ-like church. Amen? Amen. We're gonna look at fatherhood as a model for ministry on Father's Day. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for these truths. I pray that we are faithful to them. I pray for each and every one who's here this morning that they will know you and know you crucified. And if there's one here who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that today might be the day that you draw them to yourself. Maybe, Maybe it is through the, maybe it is through the, influence of a godly mother. Maybe it's through the influence of a godly Sunday school teacher or through a godly saint in our church, whatever it is. Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Let's sing this song together. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Let's stand together as we sing.